reading and preaching of his word. O heavenly God and King, we ask now that you would grant us grace to understand your word. I ask for grace that I might preach your word plainly in a manner which your people understand without artifice or ornament and that your spirit would guide us and strengthen us and he would teach us the truth contained herein. O Lord, we ask this powerful blessing in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Have you ever heard of a man named Polycarp? Could you imagine being named Polycarp, boys? Not exactly a name that would probably win you a lot of friends in the playground. Polycarp was a early church history Christian martyr. Died in a good old age, age 86. He was brought into the Colosseum for the Roman Emperor and inquisited, indicted before all the people. as a big crowd watching. And the question was given to him. Will you renounce Christ? Answer, no. A couple of more exchanges. Will you renounce Christ? No. Then another exchange. I have wild beasts waiting for you. Do you understand that? Yes. Will you renounce Christ? No. All you have to do is renounce him. Say that Caesar is emperor. Burn a little bit of incense and I'll send the beasts away. These are paraphrases, of course. But then Polycarp says, just bring them on. Can we please get this over with? For 80 and 6 years I have served him and he has been faithful to me. How could I now, at the end of my life, deny him? The beasts are let out of their cage and Polycarp suffers horribly and goes to his heavenly reward. Polycarp, great Christian, suffered horribly even before that for the name of Christ. He suffered an ignominious and horrible and painful death, but he held to the faith even at the end and did not renounce Christ even when he was given a chance. Even as the wild beasts were screaming out, as it were, for his blood, for they were hungry. He did not renounce Christ. Do you think that you would have that strength? Hmm. It's tempting to say that we would. Many people were given questions like that in the ancient world and many failed. But ironically, more Christians passed that test than failed. That is indeed how the Christian church won. It makes no rational sense that the Roman Empire basically fell to Christ just a few hundred years later when it started out with a guy like Peter at the forefront. We can admire Peter, but we have to acknowledge that there were at least a few times in his life when he was not the sharpest tool in the shed. This is the man to whom the Lord our God gave 
the evangelization of the Jews into his hand largely. One of the two or three great leaders of the ancient church. That's who Jesus started out with. And a fellow by the name of Paul, a little later on, convicted murderer, convicted persecutor of the church, someone who delighted in killing Christians. That's who the Lord our God chose to begin the conquest of the world. And how did they beat the Roman Empire? By dying, by suffering, by not quitting by looking the beast in the eye and saying, no, I will not renounce Christ. Bring the beast on. And children, believe it or not, there were children at times brought into that Colosseum as well. Fathers and mothers, can you imagine that? Not just you. Many men could go into the Colosseum and be brave, but if your wife and children are brought with you, well, that changes the playing field quite a bit. Hundreds, if not thousands of them, did not renounce Christ, and they won the battle. Now, hopefully, we won't suffer the way they did. Hopefully, none of us will ever suffer the way Polycarp did. We are not told to seek out suffering. We are not told to seek out physical pain. We're not. It's not a command. Thou shalt suffer. If it comes our way, then so be it. But we are not to seek it out. There are some have been fools in ancient history, in medieval history particularly, who went to great lengths to suffer for Christ, even inflicting punishment upon themselves, ironically in violation of the sixth commandment. You're not allowed to harm your own body, especially not intentionally. But they did to suffer for Christ. We're not called to do that. We're not called. If suffering comes, be that as it may, we must take it. We must not renounce Christ. But we're not to seek it out. Only a crazy person would seek out suffering intentionally as if life isn't hard enough. But we do suffer, don't we? Even we middle class Christians in America, we suffer. Not as polycarp. Nobody's going to feed you to a lion today. Nobody is going to take away your job just because you're a Christian. Nobody is going to whisk you away because you name yourself as a Christian. Nobody is going to harm you because you're a member of Middlesex Presbyterian Church. It's just not going to happen, at least not at this stage in our history. But we live in a sin-torn world. We sin, and our own sin brings suffering into our lives. Ask yourself, what has my sin done for me? What good has my sin done for my family? Here's what it's done. It's brought turmoil into your life. It's brought turmoil to the kitchen table. And it's torn your family apart. That's what sin does. That's what sin enjoys doing. And the sin of others does that as well. We look around and we see injustice. We look around and we see hunger. We look around and we see Unnecessary wars and violence. We see crime. We see thievery, abominable idolatries, murders. And if we're Christians, it should cause us pain. It should cause us suffering to look around and say, look at this mess. Look at what's happening over there. Look what's happening down the street. Look what's happening in Pittsburgh. Never mind what's happening in India or Saudi Arabia or China or someplace like that. The whole place has gone crazy. It should bring suffering into our hearts. 
When we see other Christians suffering, we should never become inoculated to suffering. We should not to seek it out, but because God has given us a fairly easy go of it, we all the more should be supportive of those who are suffering. The strong should help the weak. The rich should help the poor. It's really not that complicated. But too often we don't. And that in itself is a sin, and that brings more suffering into our lives. What's bothering you today? What's causing you suffering in this world at this moment? The world, the flesh, the devil. Those are the three things that cause you suffering. Those three things and nothing more. Your sin, the sins of others, and the machinations and temptations and fooleries of the devil. That's what causes us suffering. Nothing more. Now let us remember that Peter's original audience had it a lot rougher than we do. They actually were suffering. They lived in what we now call modern day Turkey. Well, actually, the more things change, the more they stay the same. If you're a Christian in modern day Turkey, guess what? You're not going to have a very easy time of it. It's an Islamic country, a secular Islamic country, but it's Islamic nonetheless. They don't particularly care for Christians, in case you haven't noticed. They're not nearly as tolerant as some would think. If you don't believe me, go try and plant a church in Istanbul. It won't go well for you. They will kick you out. They will throw you into prison. They just might kill you. Peter's audience, his original listeners, are suffering, suffering grievously for the faith. We know that because the text itself tells us that. Chapter 1, verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have become grieved by various trials. In a couple of weeks, we'll look at chapter, parts of chapter 2. He tells, servants, be submissive to your masters, this is slaves, with all fear, not only to the good, but to the gentle, and also to the harsh. For this is commendable, if because of conscience towards God, one endures grief, suffering wrongly. In chapter 4, verse 12 and following. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. They were suffering. They were suffering for real. And they were suffering unjustly. That's the key. They were suffering just because they were Christians. And what does this have to do with us? Well, if we can understand what they were going through, then we can more fully grasp what this message is about. What, what is Peter trying to get at? Better yet, what is the Holy Spirit, through Peter's words, trying to tell his people? If someone's suffering, and you talk to them about the pirates or the stealers, and they're hungry, well, that's just stupidity. They're hungry, they're suffering. Our house is just burned down. Hey, what do you think about those pirates? Looking forward to the Steeler game? My house is just burned down. My family's dead. Why are you talking to me about sports? No, you would talk something rational to them, correct? You would speak words of comfort to them in their situation. When the fire had died down, maybe you would give them tickets to a game and money to buy food to get trouble off their minds, but you would speak to them. Peter is speaking to them in suffering. 
what we learn today is because God, because God has exalted his people, we can overcome the trials of this world. Because God has exalted his people. That's right, raise your hand. Because God has exalted his people, we can overcome the trials of this world. Let's take a look at this text, starting in verse 8. Unless we touched on this just a little bit. They stumble, disbelievers, unbelievers. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. And then in verse 9, the text for today, but you are. That word but is important. It refers us back to the previous verses. What Peter is doing is he's trying to draw a contrast between those who don't believe and those who do. He's drawing a clear contrast between Christians and the world. Drawing a clear contrast between those who obey the word, Christians, and those who disobey the word, everybody else on planet Earth. But they stumble, being disobedient to the word, to which they also were appointed, quite frankly, because they were destined to disobey the word. Scary, horrifying mystery. There it is. But, but, you are a chosen generation. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. His own special people. Wow. Forget about what the world thinks. This is what God thinks of his people. These are the names that God has given you. Has anybody ever called you a derogatory name? <clears throat> it hurts, doesn't it? Especially if they call you the same name for a number of years under their breath. You can hear them saying it. And sometimes after a while they don't even have to say it. You can almost read their minds. The unbelievers slander Christ. They slander God. They slander us. They call us names. Idiots. Unscientific. Old-fashioned. That's my favorite. Old-fashioned. I always say amen to that. Keep coming with that one. Old-fashioned. Old-school. I love that. Anything you want to put old in, you know, except with my chronological age, I'll roll with it. Old-school. Old-light. Old-side. Old-fashioned. Keep coming with that stuff. It's fine with me. It's fine with me. We're a chosen race. The word generation, let me just say this, is better off translated race. R-A-C-E. Here's the reason. A generation ends. Those of us who were born between 1946 and 1964. Could you raise your hands? Just Come on higher. Be proud. We're baby boomers. There we go. The most spoiled generation in the history of the world. 1946 to 1964. Eventually we will not be here. We don't like to think that because the world revolves around us. TV was created for us. But eventually that generation will pass. The generation who fought the war between the states, whichever side they were on in the 1860s, they're not here anymore. That generation is gone. The word can be translated a number of ways, but race gets the way better. We're a chosen race, a separate people. Now, when you think of a race, they have a common ancestor, correct? In order to belong to a particular race, you have to have common ancestors. You may not know who they are, but you can look at the people around you and say, well, 
I guess we kind of come from the same place. Who is our common ancestor? It has nothing to do with physical race. Nothing to do with it. God is our father. Christ is our older brother. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. Those are our common ancestors. Do you understand that you have more in common with Christians the farthest end of the globe that know, might not even know what America is, can't speak your language, they don't eat the same food that you do, they don't wear the same clothes than you, they don't like the same music that you do, they might not have electricity, they may not even know what it is, but if they are Christians, you have more in common with them than your unbelieving blood relatives. Most of us have at least some blood relatives who are unbelievers. Some of us, sad to say, have blood relatives who are unbelievers and who are obnoxious to us. Who think that we're idiots. Who think that we're fools. I've had members of my family tell me, you believe in fairy tales. What's wrong with you? You used to be smart. You had such potential. Why didn't you go to law school? Why didn't you do this? They don't understand. You meet a Christian from Timbuktu and they immediately understand because we have a common ancestor, the Lord our God. The world may say this about us, but we are a chosen race, an elect people. And then he goes on and says a royal priesthood. Boy, aren't we fascinated with royalty? Earlier this week or maybe two weeks ago, um, my dear wife said, and I'm going to this is a paraphrase. Kate had a baby girl. Yes, you did. You did. Jay, yeah, you did. Jason and I were right there. And I said, look at Jason. I said, Kate who? I said, no, there's, there's no, I'm thinking, there's no Kates in the church. I don't have any Kates in my family. It's none in her family. It says, who? Kate Middleton. Okay. Who? The Duchess of whatever. Okay. Well, good. Glad to hear it. Glad it all worked out. I have the foggiest idea. A number of friends of mine commented something to the same effect. Oh, my wife was saying about this. I'm like, yeah, I didn't have any idea what she was talking about. She's royalty. It is interesting, though, as a side note, that the whole world is rejoicing that the Duchess of whatever. What is she the Duchess of? Somebody please help me. Okay, there we go. The Duchess of whoever bridge has had a baby. They always knew she was going to have a baby. Hmm. Interesting. If you want the child, the child is a baby. If you don't, well, it's a hindrance to your freedom and liberty. We're fascinated because she's a royal. Maybe someday her husband's going to be the king of England. Sounds like a nice job description. Has some perks to it. Certainly a nice house. You have to ride in a chauffeured rolls. Of course, the cameras follow you everywhere. Never stop taking pictures and you'll never have a moment of privacy again. But that goes along with the job. But we're fascinated with royalty. And who's the royalty in America? Entertainers. Sports figures. 
doesn't matter what your family tree is, but boy, they're the, they're the cream of our society. They're making buku bucks. They're on the television. whoop de doop de doo doesn't matter. All that matters is when they die, God's not going to ask them, were you on television? Did the people love you? All he's going to ask is, did you believe in my son? Were you a member of his royal priesthood? Do you understand that this is who you are? A royal priesthood. It doesn't matter what the world says about you. This is the whole point of the text. It doesn't matter if they kill you. It doesn't matter if they take your home. It will hurt. It's not going to be fun. But you will be a royal priest. Who is the great high royal priest? Jesus Christ. What did the world do to him? They killed him. They humiliated him. They beat him to a pulp. They spit on him. And they still spit on his good name. He never even existed. It's a fairy tale. He didn't come. He didn't really die. He was nuts. I've heard people say he was nuts. He was crazy. That's why he did what he did. That's why he's, who would who would do that? He's demon possessed. The Pharisees said, "No, he's the royal priest, and we and follow in his train, a royal priesthood." This is who we are, a holy nation. Holy means separate. We're separate. And the nation isn't located in a particular geographical location. Because you see, Peter calls us pilgrims. He says we're dispersed. We're scattered throughout the world. But we're one nation. This is why we should be concerned with what's going on with Christians around the globe. Not just with our church. Not even just with our presbytery. Not even just with our our denomination. But what's going on in the Christian world? How's the church faring in England? I'm just talking about the English. I'll tell you how the church is faring in England. Not very well. Maybe 5% of the people would consider themselves to be advocates of the name of Christ and would attend a church. Do you understand that our church would be considered nearly a mega church in the British Isles? That's, that's, that's serious. All those cathedrals in Europe, guess what? They're empty. They're empty. The Netherlands used to be a hotbed of reformed thinkers, Presbyterians like us. Guess what? That's the place you want to go now if you want free drugs. That's the place you want to go now if you want to go to sleep. Literally, if you want to be put to death, you can go there. And I won't even mention what other things you can buy. That's what Holland is now. It used to be filled with Dutch Calvinists who went and heard two and three hour sermons twice a Sunday. Yeah, long sermons. I won't go that long today. We're a holy nation, even though we're scattered. A people, a people of his own possession. This one sounds a little less marvelous, but his own special people. We're God's special people. And why did he do that for us? So that we could proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Peter goes on to say, we were once not a people, but now are the people of God. At once we had not obtained mercy, but now we have obtained mercy. This is fantastic stuff. Do you understand the mercy of God? That there are two people, two types of persons in this world. Those who have God's mercy on them and those who don't. And that the church is where mercy is found. That we have the privilege 
of telling people mercy is here for the asking. Love is here for the asking. Salvation is here for the asking. Come and join us. Come serve our great God, this magnificent God who calls things that are dead, He makes them alive. Look at what He's done for us. Look at what He's done for me. Too many of us say, I can't talk to people about Christ because I don't know enough, Pastor. Nowhere in the Bible. You have to know a little bit, but you don't have to know much. You declare His praises. Do you know what God's done for you in your life? If you had to list five or six things that God has shown you His love and mercy, could you do it? Yes, you could. That's all you have to do. This is what God's done for me. This is how God showed me His mercy. This is how God has shown my family His compassion. This is why I believe. That's all. There are other ways we can proclaim His praises. Simply by not participating in the evil of the world. By not chasing after the same idols that our fellow citizens in this country chase after. By saying no to vice. By saying no to filth. By saying no to not using our minds to their fullest extent. That's how we proclaim the praises of this great God. Just by being different. If you want to do this, if you want these exalted titles to be evident in your life, if you want them to have some punch, if you want to experience them and feel them, then all you have to do is proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Is that that difficult? The God you serve created the world out of nothing. Look at this beautiful day. All you have to do is tell somebody, what a beautiful day God has created today. I promise you that will get their attention because people don't talk like that anymore. Oh, we do here at church, but we're all the same family. You can say it to me. It's not going to surprise me. You can say it to your husbands and wives. It's not going to surprise them because they believe the same thing as you. Just a simple praise the Lord very often. Just a simple... Now, why don't you turn that radio off? I don't like the words of that song. I don't... No, I'm... Not judging you, but I don't watch that show because of this, this, and that. That's all you have to do. You have to be an oddball. The oddballs in Peter's day, they were dragged to the Colosseum. The oddballs in Peter's day, they were put, burned at the stake. And you know what? Some of our brothers and sisters are dying right now as we speak. And we should be concerned about them. We should pray for them. We should help them when we can. By prayer. Do you pray? Do you praise God? Do you thank Him for what He's done for you? If we did, we, our voices would almost never stop. I'm so thankful that Jesus said, you know, your prayers shouldn't be long. That means we can pray short prayers throughout the day instead of just never stopping. Because we should never cease to praise His glory. Because His glory is... Never ending. Not to even think about our heavenly reward, what this beautiful earth is going to look like when he recreates it. As we grow older, we creak and we break down and we, and we fret and we worry and the sadness of old age comes into our eyes. But we have the hope of eternal life. And tell people, yeah, my body hurts now, but there's going to come a day where I'm going to be something special, believe you me. 
My body is going to be raised and refashioned after Christ's indestructible body. Forget about the stealers. Their bodies get hurt. My body's never going to die when I get to heaven. Do you want that kind of body? Here's how you can have it. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. We serve a great God, brothers and sisters. He's given us these exalted titles. And because he's given us these exalted titles and he's raised us up, literally, into his palace, we can overcome the trials of this earth. The trials of this earth, they're hard. They weigh us down. But this temporary, momentary light affliction compared to the glory that God has given us and the glory that awaits us in his eternal kingdom. We have nothing at all to fear. Praise be his name. Let's pray. O Lord our God, may we declare your praises throughout our lives. In Jesus' name.